Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Charlie Matz, filling in for Ben Blakey. It's Monday, August 1st, 2022. Doesn't it feel a little bit ironic that when we pursue the wrong things, the pursuit of those things can actually distract us from what is best? I remember when I was golfing with a group of guys once. I was so focused on playing well that I neglected enjoying the company of these other men, asking them about their lives or trying to grow our relationship. After each shot, I was back into my own world. I was thinking about the next shot or analyzing why I hit the last one poorly. I wasn't concerned about the other men or engaging in a conversation. When the round was over and I drove away, it suddenly hit me and I felt horrible. I had focused on obtaining what was fleeting, a lower handicap for what was best, a deeper relationship with these three other souls that I was with. It's so easy for us to make trades like this on a daily basis. Today, we're going to see some warnings about focusing on obtaining wealth in the Proverbs, and we're going to be reminded of the great privilege and responsibility of serving the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians. May we never trade the former for the latter. Today, in the Old Testament, we're reading Proverbs 23 and 24. In the first eight verses of Proverbs 23, we see different lessons about money and the pursuit of wealth. First, the first three verses say, When you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you, and put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Put a knife to your throat? Are we being told to harm ourselves here? No, not at all. The writer is making a strong point about the influence of those with wealth and power. Do you remember the example of Daniel and how he resisted the temptation to indulge and be drawn in to all of the lavishness of where he was serving to be drawn away from the Lord? He's a great example of what this is saying is wise. Here we see the writer warning us of how fondly we gaze upon what's in front of us. He says, observe carefully what is before you. Do you stare at the wealth of those around you with coveting eyes? And if you are given to appetite, if you start to hunger for those things that will cause you to sin in the pursuit of those things, stop yourself by any means necessary. I believe that's what he's saying about putting a knife to your throat. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 29 through 30, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. This is the whole concept for us to take drastic measures for us to cut the sin out of our lives, to avoid the temptations there to desire the wrong things. And then in verse three, he says, do not desire his delicacies. When we see something we want and those desires turn into demands, we know that we're on the way to a well-polished idol. Now let's read in verses four and five. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings flying like an eagle toward heaven. Do you wear yourself out to acquire wealth? God says that that isn't wise. We should work hard, yes, at whatever we're given to do, but our end should be to glorify God in what we do. If our end is to acquire wealth, we are living a sadly ironic existence because it's like trying to hold sand in our hand for a long period of time. That just doesn't work. The wealth we work so hard to acquire has a way of sprouting wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. 
Lastly, in verses 6 through 8, he says, Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the morsels that you have eaten and waste your pleasant words. Here we have a double warning. Don't be the person who hoards their wealth and then fakes generosity, all the while really trying to get something from the people you're supposedly helping, but also don't hang around with these people. Don't be taken advantage of if you can discern that that's what's going on. There is going to be trials in life, but that doesn't mean you need to walk right into them when there's fair warning. Back to the comment on hoarding, the idea that you're stockpiling your wealth, not sharing it with others or the church. This really comes down to a lack of faith and trust in the Lord. If this is something that you struggle with, I highly recommend that you add Matthew chapter 6 to your reading today. Spend some time meditating and praying over this rich chapter as you seek to trust the Lord more with your wealth. Later in the chapter is one of my favorite verses in the book of Proverbs. If we shouldn't wear ourselves out pursuing wealth, then what should we invest in pursuing? Well, verse 23 says, buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Spend greatly to obtain the truth is what it's saying and never let it go for any price. So the question is, how are you pursuing the truth? And sure, it's important to know what is true in all areas of life. We should all be seeking the truth. But there are many areas of life that you simply can't know what is totally true. Your pursuit of the truth is only as good as the source of that truth. So you might be pursuing the truth about the government, education, politics, etc. But you can't always be sure that your source is reliable, at least not 100%. What is the only 100% reliable source of truth? The Lord himself. And fortunately for us... He wrote a book. So here's a good question to ponder for today. How much time, energy, and money are you spending on pursuing God's truth? And then on the other hand, what's your price for selling it? What would it take for you to betray the Lord like Judas did? And you might say, hey, hey, I don't have a price. And that would be good if that's what you're thinking. I don't have a price for selling out the Lord. But let's make sure that we aren't betraying God's truth in bite-sized doses on a daily basis. When we ignore clear commands of Scripture... For the sake of personal gain, whatever we gained in that transaction is our selling price. And the hard part is that we can silently betray biblical convictions without many people noticing. But as we're reminded in chapter 24, verse 12, God always knows our motives. It says, if you say, behold, we did not know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? God is warning us to watch our desires, and he's also reminding us that he knows our desires. So perhaps today is a good day to pray for God to reveal the desires of your heart and to help you direct the desires of your heart to what he says is good. Inevitably, if we're going to talk about our desires and investing our lives in the pursuit of what God calls good, we're going to have to talk about stewardship, not just of money, but of the gifts that God has given us. And sometimes our pursuit of worldly wealth can be the very thing that is distracting us from serving the body of Christ in the way that God wants us to. In our New Testament reading in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is talking about the gifts that God gives us to serve the church, the body of Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's completely pertinent to the passages that we've talked about in Proverbs so far in this sense. When we stay busy with the work of serving the church, the body of Christ, we're often not distracted as much by the things of this world. So to start out, I want to read verses 4 through 7 in 1 Corinthians 12. It says this, Now there are varieties of gifts but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. 
And there are varieties of activities, but is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Here we see some powerful truths just in this short passage. First, the gifts that were given to serve the body of Christ, they're all from the same source, the Holy Spirit. In one sense, you can say that the Holy Spirit is the greatest organizational leader in all of eternity. I mean, he hands out gifts to everyone in the church so that they can work together to accomplish the Lord's will. And second, God is the one who gives the power to perform the task of serving the church. Anyone who has ever served the church since Christ rose into the air and the early church was formed has been empowered by God himself for the work. So if you're not serving the church in some capacity because you don't think you have enough energy or wisdom, you're probably the perfect candidate because through your weakness, God will be glorified when he provides what is needed for the task. And third, you and I are given a gift for the common good is what Paul says here. We don't serve the church for our resume, our satisfaction, our pursuit up the leadership ladder or any selfish ambition. No, we serve the church for the common good. What God has empowered us to do is for him and for others. Can we find great joy and satisfaction in what we do for the body of Christ? Absolutely. I believe that we all love serving the church in some capacity. When we do it, we find great enjoyment in that. But let's face it, there will be plenty of midweek and Sunday ministry posts that we'd rather not show up to because we don't feel energized, appreciated, or excited sometimes. But when we know that it's for the common good, it keeps us going, knowing that those brothers and sisters in the foxhole with us are counting on us using our gifts so that the whole operation can roll forward to the glory of God. So what might it specifically look like to serve the body of Christ? Well, Paul continues in our passage listing off various gifts. A few notes on this list and all of the gifts listed in scripture. First, I think if you really want to categorize them, they seem to fit into two big buckets, teaching and serving. And the list here and other lists throughout scripture are not exhaustive lists, but more like types giving us some general headings on what gifts look like. I'm personally not a huge fan of spiritual gift tests simply because they usually attempt to narrowly define one area of the church that you were born to serve in. And why do I think this is maybe a little unwise? Because there's so many needs within the body of Christ. So you might serve on the tech team for a while, but then perhaps the greeting team for another season, or maybe you'll teach in the kids ministry for a little while, but then lead a life group as you grow in the Lord. You see, you were definitely given a gift to serve the church, but it might not be as specific as you think, allowing you to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to fill various specific needs within a larger category of gifting over time. Now, going back to the concept of for the common good that I touched on earlier, I love what Paul is saying starting in verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And Paul goes on to say that one part of the body can't be the whole body. That wouldn't make any sense. And the body has to work together, not having any division. But then in verse 26, he says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. There's this really coming together of the body with all the gifts. And I think we can take away several things to think about today from the passage of verses 14 through 26. First, we should take pride in what we do to serve the church, regardless of what it is. You have no idea the important part you might play on any given day. And why can you be so confident that what you're doing is important? Because God designed you to do it and God is supplying the power to get through it.
Second, you are needed. Here's one way to think about it in the form of a question. Is your church limping because of your lack of service? If the body's big toe is missing, it's hard to walk without a limp. Third, God created the body of Christ to be a team sport. He says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And here's just a thought to take away. There is no JV, no junior varsity in the body of Christ. It takes everyone stepping up to play their part. And there are no bench players. So today, perhaps it's a good time to evaluate what you're pursuing. Are you spending too much time and energy pursuing worldly wealth and possessions? Are those pursuits getting in the way of serving the church with the gifts that God has given you? When we focus on obtaining what is fleeting, we often give up gaining what is eternal. I urge you to not be nearsighted in this way. I pray that you see the beautiful way that God has orchestrated the body of Christ to work as an organization that relies on each individual to play their part. If you're in the game, keep running hard, relying on God to supply the fuel. If you're on the bench, today is the day to raise your hand and get in the game. You won't regret it today. And you certainly won't regret it 100 years from now, regardless of what you have to give up today. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. Pastor Ben Blakey will be back again on August 22nd. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.